Well, for the early church who contended with persecution and deception and seduction, they needed motivation. Nero, the Roman emperor at the time, actually started out pretty good, historians say. Uh, He was kind of nice to Christians at first, but something happened. We don't know fully what it was, and he turned. He turned and basically blamed the Christians for everything, and persecution rose. But persecution was not the only thing going against Christians. There was also seduction, especially those outside the city of Rome. Those believers were tempted to give loyalty to the Roman gods in order to have good standing in the local communities and be allowed to be in the trade guilds. So so get this, it was economically beneficial to renounce Christ and worship the Roman deities. Now, as we studied the seven churches in Revelation, in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, we saw lots of persecution and we saw lots of seduction. And so what those churches need is motivation. They need to know in the midst of the battle, it was worth it. In the midst of the battle, there's a future hope and a future home. But it's not just they that need that motivation. We also need it. We need hope when the journey is hard. We need to know that it's worth it. We need to be able to say it was that glimpse of eternity that kept me going, kept me going during the job loss or kept me going during financial hardship or kept me going during those wearying classes or bosses or babies or health issues. We need a glimpse of our eternal home to keep us going. Last week, we got a glimpse as we looked at the new heavens and new earth coming down, God and man back together. Today, John continues to paint the picture, giving us multiple glimpses. So let's look at Revelation chapter 21. We're going to start reading at verse 1 just to kind of get a runway, but then we're main passage is starting at verse 9 that we'll be studying today. So start at verse 1 of chapter 21 of Revelation. Then I saw the new heavens and the new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now skip down to verse 9. And then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east, three gates and on the north, three gates. And on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his holy word. 
Here's kind of the summary of today's passage that we're going to see. I'm stealing this from a guy named Dennis Johnson. He says this, The church's priceless value and eternal safety are secured by God who founds and surrounds his city. The church's priceless value and eternal safety are secured by the God who founds and surrounds his city. And friends, like a wedding day where, where you just kind of want to gl- get a glimpse of the bride, like everybody's like looking for the bride, we get a glimpse of the bride here. Point number one is the bride city. Verse 9 speaks of the angel with the seven bowls. And let's recount back in Revela- uh, Revelation chapter 16 what these bowls actually are. The bowls spoke of the intensity of judgment from the seals to the trumpets, then the intensity of the bowls. This judgment on non-believers, these unbelievers who worship the beast and refuse to repent. And as bowl number six comes, the battle line of Armageddon is drawn. The, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet line up with the earthly kings to destroy Jesus and his people. And what does Jesus do? In that moment, he turns to his saints and says this, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go out about naked and be seen exposed. He's basically saying this, stay awake, church. Stay awake. Jesus, the Messiah, the bridegroom, the warrior king will return for his bride. You fast forward to chapter 19, and we saw the wedding invitations have gone out. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And now in Revelation 21, all that the bride, the church, has anticipated has come. The church has stayed awake. The enemies have been defeated. All that is bad and evil and broken is undone. All is restored. God and man back together, the restored Eden. So in Revelation 21, 9, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Can we just pause there and see the bride, the church, made it. They made it. They made it to the end. This is Jesus' wife. This is you and me and all who loved his appearing. The church militant, that's who we are now. We're getting shot at all the time by arrows of the evil one, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The church militant becomes the church triumphant. The embattled, weary, weak saints will become a spotless bride. Friends, we are loved and cherished by our Savior. We will make it to the end. Now, if you're reading Revelation 21 and you're reading straight through the book of Revelation, you pick up up on something. John is contrasting this bride with another lady, the prostitute. In Revelation 17, in almost the exact parallel to chapter 21, John shows us there's one of the seven angels with the seven bowls who comes and takes him away. He says, I will show you. But this time he says, I will show you the great prostitute. John is then carried away in the spirit to the wilderness, not a high mountain. The evil prostitute, the seductress Babylon, has drunk the blood of the saints. She hates God and hates his people, his bride. 
But she fails, and she is destroyed, and she is undone, and all who are loyal to her. And so in Revelation 21, we have a very different woman. John again has one of the seven angels from the seven bowls. They take him somewhere. They take him to the high mountain. And don't miss the parallel of these two ladies. The evil deception of Babylon, those loyal to the dragon, many will be loyal to her and worship her, and they will be spending eternity in hell. But there are others that are loyal. They're loyal to King Jesus. That's the bride worshiping King Jesus. In verse 10, the angel says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Here is Jesus' wife walking down the aisle. The music-filled creation and joy rings out. But the imagery quickly changes. Much like John hears of, of the Lion of Judah, but then sees the Lamb who was slain, he hears of the bride coming, but then turns and sees a city. Verse 10, And he carried me away in the Spirit to the great high mountain and showed me a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now this is all imagery. The bride city is the place of God's people. This is Christ's church, his redeemed people. And let's notice how this bride city is described. She is pure and she is radiant. She gleams like the most rare jewel, jasper and crystal. She sparkles like nothing short of the description of only one other thing in the book of Revelation, the throne of God. This is God's people in God's place, his city under God's rule and authority and blessing. That prayer on earth as it is in heaven will not be prayed anymore because heaven and earth have come down and they have joined together. God and his people fully together. Verse 12 through 14 tells us that the city has high walls and gates and foundations. The 12 gates have names of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 gates have angels at the gates. And the 12 foundations of the city have the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now let's draw out some detail there. This is the new Jerusalem. God and his people together. And what is the foundation? It's the 12 apostles. And, and that's not what you would expect. You would expect it would be the 12 tribes of Israel are the foundations because they came first. But the apostles laid the foundation of Jesus. These are the guys who were disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples of the worldwide church of Jesus, his bride. These are the guys who wrote most of the New Testament, who tell all men and women how to be saved through Jesus. Church history tells us that these men either died in prison or by execution for the gospel they proclaimed. And Ephesians chapter 3 says the apostles and prophets are the foundation and Jesus is the cornerstone. The foundation of God's people, his temple, his city. So friends, we've got to understand something here. The gospel and Christianity and faith in Christ did not start with you or your generation. Each generation stands on the shoulders of other generations and the work they've done in the gospel. We each owe a gratitude to the generations ahead of us. We did not start this. We do not finish this. We just pass it from generation to generation to generation. And we stand ultimately here on the gospel of Jesus Christ 
as the cornerstone with these apostles as the foundation. But notice that the Old Testament Israel, they're not forgotten. They're the walls. They're the walls that protect and adorn the bride. The story of Israel passing uh, or being rescued through the Red Sea, the sacrifice of Passover lamb after Passover lamb, the building of the first temple, the being shipped off to exile and back. That's history to not, not to be relegated, but it's part of the structure of God's redeemed people. We are in that vine, the redeemed people of God through Jesus Christ, the ultimate Israel. So we don't relegate the Old Testament to the side. We hold the Old Testament and we hold the New Testament. We hold the history of Israel and we hold the gospel of Jesus together with the apostles taught. And it's important and it's there forever and eternity. And note the angels at the gate. We'll see next week that chapter 22 speaks of the restored Eden, Garden of Eden. Those angels that once guarded Eden's doors are now at the gates of this new Jerusalem. This bride is guarded. And friends, one of the major applications in commentary after commentary I read that talking about this section of chapter 21 said that protection of God's bride is so important. The protection is a massive detail. And this is not just a a temporary protection. This is eternal protection. Isn't that good news that those seven churches in Revelation needed to know who were going through persecution, who were going through seduction in Roman society? But friends, note that protection does not just start in the future. We've seen throughout Revelation that there is a spiritual protection by the Holy Spirit that leads us to this eternal protection. There's a faithful endurance that God enables. There's the seal on the forehead of all believers marking them, written in blood, the Lamb's book of life, having our names in it. Friends, God hears our prayers in this temporary life this life that is a mist in a moment, that the book of Revelation says this temporary times, the, the three and a half years, the 42 months, the 1,260 uh, 1, days, this, this time of persecution and seduction and deception and marginalization. It is hard, but it is not forever. God's people need to know it is hard, but it is not forever. And friends, I think that John paints with the palette of Isaiah here. Isaiah 26, 1 through 4 says this, In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter. And now get this next part in verse 3, friends. Think about Jesus, his love for his bride. Verse 3, you keep him. In perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Trust in the Lord forever, for you are his bride. Forever you will be with him. Trust him in hard circumstances and sleepless nights and unexpected news and difficult moments. Trust him in joys and trust him in pains. Trust him in your failures. Trust him. 
He will keep you in his perfect peace, for he is the prince of peace. And there will be a home, an eternal home of peace. Oh, friends, the imagery in this passage gets richer and richer as you go, and it unfolds. Point number two, the most holy place. We've said often in the book of Revelation, the study that John paints with a painter's palette of the Old Testament. Specifically, we find in this next section that he has a lot of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 40, right after a battle in Magog, Ezekiel goes to a high mountain, and then all of a sudden Ezekiel's measuring the temple. So Magog, high mountain, temple. Now what we saw in chapter 20, verse 8, is there's this battle in Magog, Gog and Magog. Then we find that John here is at a high mountain. And what would we expect next if we're seeing Ezekiel here in Revelation? A measuring of a temple. Look at verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. Why a measuring rod? It kind of seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Like we have this great wedding, God and his people back together, and the angel's like, I got this measuring rod over here. And you're like, is that the gift for the bride? Like, what are we doing here? All of a sudden, we're just starting to measure things. Some of you guys are in construction. You like totally get this, but the rest of us do not. Commentator Greg Beale gives several reasons. He says, first, it speaks of God's security for his people around the city. He knows every square inch. He knows every bit of the city of his people. Kind of like a security detail who goes through all the buildings like a day or a week before the president ever comes to town. They know all that's going on. God knows it all. Secondly, and closely related, evil will not enter the city. Evil will not be found in this bride. All is measured. All is known. All is weighed. And third, This is not the first time an angel has pulled out a measuring rod in the book of Revelation. So we've got a key in. Is there another place in Revelation that talks about a measurement? And in Revelation chapter 11, the temple is measured, but John is told to not measure the outer court because it's given over to the nations, meaning God is allowing the suffering and persecution and seduction to happen to his people during this time period prior to the new heavens, new earth. But now in Revelation 21, all is measured all is secure. There is no more suffering. Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. All is measured. So friends, when, when you're reading through Ezekiel 
in your Bible reading, and you get to chapter 40 through 42, and you're just slogging through, and you're struggling. And you're like, God, why would you possibly put 91 verses in a row about details of measuring this future temple? Here's why. God cares about every detail. He cares about every detail of this temple. God cares about every detail of this city. God cares about every detail of his bride. God cares about every detail of his church. God cares. Jesus said that God cares about the sparrow. How much more does he care about his children? Does he care about you? Friends, we are measured. God knows every square inch of us. Verse 16 gets into a measurement of the city of 12,000 stadia. The length, the width, and the height are the same. It's a perfect cube. Now let's know this is not speaking literally, as we've seen a lot in the apocalyptic uh, literature. 12,000 stadia is between 1,350, I mean, fit, yeah, 1,300 and 1,500 miles. So that's like from Somerville, South Carolina, almost to El Paso, Texas. So you guys going to Rancho 3M? You're almost there. Just 12,000 stadia away. If this is literal, the height of the city is up like as high as the satellites orbiting our earth. Like Mount, Mount Everest, six miles high. This is 1,300 miles high. Okay, so this is really high. What is God getting at at the 12,000 stadia? This massive measurement, each side is equal. It's a perfect cube. Where in the world would we get some kind of understanding about this perfect cube? What is John's paint palette? It is the Old Testament. Good job. There is one cube shape in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments were not a cube. The city walls of the old Jerusalem were not a cube. The temple of Solomon was not a cube. The Ark of the Covenant was not a cube. What was a cube in the Old Testament? Only one thing, the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a cube. The most holy and sacred place, the place only the purified high priest could go into once per year to sacrifice for God's people on the Day of Atonement, that was a cube. Only the holy holies was a cube where God's presence would dwell. And what we have in the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem is God dwelling with his people in a cube city in the holy of holies. The whole world, our eternal home, is the Holy of Holies. That's God and man together with no sin, no suffering, no pain, full access, you and God, us and God. Chapter, or verse 17 speaks of the 144, cubit, 144 cubits, or it can be translated 144,000, which most commentators think is referring back to Revelation chapter 7, with 144,000 from every tribe of Israel, meaning all of God's people. All God's people make it. All of God's people make it. 
And let's look at the description of the walls in verses 18 through 21. And as I'm going to read 18 through 21, I want you to picture something. Once per year, that high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, and he would be wearing uh, a breastplate that had precious stones on it. And now those precious stones adorn the bride in the Holy of Holies. Look at verse 18. And the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. The Holy of Holies, the city, this bride, is adorned with jewels, priestly jewels. God has always wanted his people to be a kingdom of priests. We've talked often about in Exodus 19, God comes to his people and says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests to your God. And the people basically are like, no, thank you. We're not really interested. Step back. Now this is who they are. They are a kingdom of priests to our God forever. In Isaiah chapter 54, Israel is, is battle-weary. It describes Israel with these two different kind of phrases. One, they are storm-tossed. And secondly, they have no comfort. Storm-tossed and no, no comfort. Have you ever felt that way? Like, that's just where I am. I storm-tossed and no comfort. And what does God encourage his storm-tossed people with? He paints them a picture of a future city, a home where they will live, and that city will have sapphires and agate and gems and precious stones. You know what else it'll have? It will have his peace. You will have peace with your God. God's priestly bride continually in the Holy of Holies in eternal relationship. Dennis Johnson says it this way. He says, The entire people of God, redeemed throughout the ages, will experience complete security in the new creation. Because God's perfect and consummate presence there. The city represents the fellowship of God's people with the everlasting presence. This is our future, friends. We will be in the most holy place with perfect, full relationship with God and with each other. But it keeps getting better. Third point, the light to the nations. Look at verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. It's just interesting that there's no temple, but the temple is God. What does that mean? Well, we got to pull back a little bit to our whole Bibles and better understand there's a development and progression in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about the idea of temple. In the Old Testament, there's a tabernacle, God present with his, his people through this 
temporary tent structure that would move with them as they were journeying through the wilderness. Then that ends up becoming eventually, not the actual tent, but they, they transfer that to the temple as Solomon's temple. Years later, the temple was torn down by King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army, and it devastated God's people. In the book of Haggai, the people return home from exile and build a new temple. What's interesting is all those who are younger are like super pumped about it. Yeah, we built the temple. They're excited. But all the older guys, they're weeping. They're crying, looking at the same temple and and in tears. Why? Because it doesn't look like what we had. So we've been unfaithful. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Get this, verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. How is it possible? How is this possible? God promises a greater glory of the temple and the nations coming to it. About 500 years later, in a reconstructed third temple built by Herod, there is brought a little baby. An old man, Simeon, said, this baby is the comfort of Israel. Anna, an older lady, says of this child, this child will be the redemption of Jerusalem. This child was Jesus. 33 years later, he said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, the dwelling place of God and man, and I will raise it up in three days. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the Spirit is poured out on all who trust in Jesus as Savior and King. And now those believers are God's temple and Jesus is the cornerstone. This is where we live right now. We as the church are the presence of God in the world. We are the Spirit indwelt with the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit for life and mission. And now we see here a future temple in Revelation 21. This is the final eternal temple. Verse 22, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. God and man together, mankind continually in God's good presence. Verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." God's radiance and glory shines and the kings and nations are drawn to it. We've seen kind of a window into this before in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. It says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's so much glory going on in this passage. And just in 23 through 26 of Revelation 21, God, in verse 23, God has glory that gives light, the light of the Lamb. Verse 24, kings will bring their glory to the new Jerusalem. Verse 26, nations will bring glory to the new Jerusalem. God is a glory magnet. All glory comes to him of the nations. The praise, the honor, laying down power. And friends, let's just understand the foreshadow as three wise men from the east, some people call them three kings, come and bring their gold and frankincense and myrrh and put them at the feet of baby Jesus. Now all kings come and bow down and bring their wealth to Jesus. And let's just remember, God doesn't need any of this wealth. Gold is pavement. Like, yay, asphalt. Like, that's not... The, the idea, the idea is they're bowing before the king who is worthy. He calls them to bow and he calls them to praise. And let's note, friends, that the nations don't seem divest, to be divesting themselves of their cultures. All that is good in each culture will be in the new heavens and new earth. All that is good and right and true is from the Lord. So the goodness of Italian pasta and French wine and Brazilian steakhouses, it's there. The goodness of of music and sports and poetry will be there. The glory of art and technology and decor will be there. All that is for God's glory will be brought in. It will be wonderful. It will be fascinating. God's multi-ethnic, multicultural, pure, and spotless bride. Safe and secure, the gates not shut, night will never come, only good, only loving, only perfect forever. And friends, 750 years before Jesus came as a little baby, Isaiah's writing about this future home in Isaiah chapter 60. Just, just imagine this encouragement to the people in Isaiah's day. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and a thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of of your rising. Verse 11, your gates shall be open continually. Day and night, they shall not be shut. That people may may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings uh, led in procession. Verse 19, the sun shall be no more. Your light by day nor brightness shall the moon give you Uh, light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall be, sorry, your sun no more go down nor your moon withdraw itself for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous 
They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. This is all God's work. This is all his doing. It's amazing the details of Isaiah that we now see fulfilled in Revelation. God's people in God's place forever. And friends, just note the the light of the nations that that they walk in, that light of Christ. Right now, we are called the light of the world, his church. The light we light up now in Christ goes to the nations. Tim Chester says it this way. As we live our lives faithfully, reflecting the character of Christ, albeit imperfectly, we will provoke questions. Revelation 21-24 describes the culmination of, of what takes place in your workplace, home, and neighborhood as you witness to Christ. The the light you shine in your workplace or in your home or in your neighborhood, that's a little bit of the light that is going to shine brightly in the new heavens, new earth of King Jesus. How encouraging is that? But friends, not, not all will be there. Look at verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who are not submissive to God, those who live by lies and exchange the glory of God for a lie, will be found outside this city. They will be outside of this wedding. They will be in eternal destruction. And friends, that's not just a warning to those outside these walls. This is a warning to us. Remember, Revelation is written to seven churches. Churches, some of them really struggling. Many had people within the walls of the churches who were living by the lies and exchanging the glory of God for lies. Oh, friends, if we are living in this way detestable and false and unclean. Friends, we must repent of our sins. We must turn to Christ as he washes away our sins. And friends, there is hope there. As we see in the Old Testament into the New Testament, if we confess Christ as our Savior, he will wash us clean. He will purify us. He will change out our hearts. Our hard heart will become a soft heart that wants to glorify him. He will give us his Holy Spirit to walk in faithfulness, to him. Friends, if that's you and you don't know Christ, we would love to tell you about Christ and having a relationship with him. You being part of the future bride, the future city, the future hope, the future home. And friends, if you are a follower of Christ, how encouraging is it that this is our future? That this is where we are going. Perfect relationship with God and one another. The hardships of this life no longer. The summary of this passage is this. The church's priceless value and eternal safety are secured by God who founds and surrounds his city. This is for us, Christians. Do you believe this? Do you believe that in Christ you are priceless, valued, and precious? That's who you are. Jesus doesn't have an ugly bride. 
Even though our sin is ugly, he washes us clean. He cherishes us and presents us to himself. Do you believe that you are safe in Jesus? Right now, spiritually safe? And for the future, a safety with no tears, no mourning, and no death. Do you believe your eternity is secure in Jesus? Or are you trying to live to earn a secure home with Jesus? Friends, we live by grace. Grace in Jesus, what he's done. Friends, if you don't understand we live in an already not yet of this, there is a fullness of the kingdom. Um, Samuel was talking about that as we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Just like the soldier who's looking at that family photo and says, it was my family that kept me going. This picture in Revelation 21 is a picture of our future home that can keep us going in the midst of present trial. In the midst of present struggle, this picture of eternity can keep us going. I want to end with a quote that was just helpful to me, and then we're going to sing a song. Christopher, you can come on up here. This is a pastor named Alistair Begg. I just thought this quote just summarized so much of this passage so well. He says this, Following Jesus is a hard road, but it ends with a beautiful view. It is a hard road, but it ends with a beautiful view. Let's stand together and sing of that beautiful view.